In today's discussion, we talk about an idea, a concept that has been around in the minds of experts and practitioners for, for a long time, Framel. Framel simply means the convergence of fraud and AML. Even though the concept has been around for a long time and is, has been viewed as a very no novel concept, the execution and implementation has proven elusive. Financial criminals have grown increasingly sophisticated and they would resort to any means possible. So there is there is no better time than to ha adopt a unified strategy of financial crime than, than it is now. Yet, we, we still don't see a greater adoption of a framel and it is a concept that has just failed to take off. Today, we are joined by Vic Maculatis to hopefully answer the question and understand what has gone wrong. Vic Mac Maculatis is founder and managing partner at i3 Strategies, a market research and st strategy consulting firm with expertise in financial crime and risk. Uh, Vic has led BSA AML teams in the past and has over 20 plus years of experience. He's not only a seasoned practitioner in the field, but he's also a thought leader who has been at the forefront of discussions surrounding the convergence of financial crime domains. Among other things, Vic and I share our mutual disdain for the word Framel. Um, Vic, uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Anurag, for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here. So, so Vic, uh, uh, before we start, start uh, discussing uh, Framel. Uh, let's let's uh, get a short introduction uh, from you. Uh, why don't you introduce by to, uh, to yourself to our audience? Yeah, so I think you did a pretty good job. Um, but yeah, collectively, 20 years, 20 plus years of experience, all in the space, but from a number of different angles, uh, which has offered the opportunity for some pretty unique experiences. Uh, a, a lot of different uh, perspective as it relates to seeing the big picture of financial crime, which I think is going to translate well into this conversation today. But yeah, I've been on kind of all all sides of uh, the industry and the game as an industry executive, starting off in government um, in the early part of my career, uh, and then more so as an advisor, consultant, entrepreneur in the space, uh, building different things. So pretty good vantage point. And I've talked a lot about the sort of convergence intersection or what I like to refer to as integration of the various financial crime uh, disciplines and domains. So I think there'll be a lot of good stuff to explore here today, especially as it relates to um, probably the, the two most common aspects of financial crime risk and compliance, which is fraud and money laundering or AML. So, yep. And um, you started in... Uh, in the Department of Homeland Security. So how was that transition like from Department of Homeland Security to uh, to financial crime? Yeah, pretty seamless, actually. So I like to tell the story of where I was uh, starting my career. I, I did, you know, do some time uh, post 9-11 in the uh, National Capital Region. But I was in Northeast Ohio. And um, at the time, uh, three years, four years in, as I was sort of making a career decision uh, on where I wanted to go in terms of remaining in the federal government, continuing federal service. I, I was an analyst. Um, my, my aspirations were originally uh, to be a criminal investigator, uh, an agent, more specifically a counterterrorism agent with the, the Bureau of FBI. Um, and one of the ways I thought I could accelerate sort of getting that experience to prepare for 
becoming a, an 1811 criminal investigator was to maybe step out, dip into the private sector, get some experience as it relates to financial investigations. Um, some of the work that I was doing in, in government at the time kind of gave me my first exposure to the various types of task forces, SAR review teams, the BSA reporting uh, aspects and sort of the financial intelligence uh, components and, and apparatus that was established. So um, there was an opportunity at Key Bank, uh, a, a large regional Midwest-based bank in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, at the time under an enforcement action. Uh, and I was one of the first uh, full-time employees hired into the newly established financial intelligence unit. And I always joke um, in terms of the question around transition from government, federal service into the private sector. Honestly, all of our uh, original hires, uh, to include a lot of the consultants that were already on board there, were either retired federal law enforcement, intelligence community, security services guys, or even some of the full-time employees um, that were transitioning off of 10, 15-year uh, careers into the private sector, leaving government. And a lot of those guys happened to come from Northeast Ohio. So um, already some pre-established relationships to include my former boss as well from, from DHS. So it was like a very easy landing spot. There were a lot of the same faces, a lot of the same culture, even though we were in a corporate environment. Um, but it was fun, unique times. So honestly, I didn't really get my first culture shock uh, in terms of transition until I left that that environment and sort of uh, rose through the ranks of management within uh, a financial institution. So that was kind of the, the transition experience and story, which I think is kind of unique. But again, timing of it and how close we were to the early days of um, the AML industry sort of jumping off. Right. So um, I I stumbled onto your profile as I was doing some research on on Framel, and uh, I've I've since followed you, and I, I I just love some of your posts. And one post that that stood out, and that that's when I reached out to you. I said, "Hey, let's talk about this on an episode of my podcast." Was uh, the post where you talk about uh, Framel, and you say. In 2008, if this was 2008, it was okay. But in 2023, talking about Framel is not just comical, but it's it's tragic. And I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the concept has been around for uh, well over a decade now, and we are still talking about it as a concept. Um, so do you think that is that it will it will see the light of day or as a concept? It's good as a concept. It exists on paper, but it's dead in water when it comes to execution. Yeah, I, I think that um, I'm still optimistic that we'll, we'll see uh, integration uh, more as a consistency versus in isolation to more sophisticated and advanced programs that make the investment into doing the things that are required. Um, the, the tragedy, which is kind of a uh, you know an interesting word to use, but when you think of it, uh, we're thinking of both the outcome of effectiveness that we're desiring to actually combat financial crime. Um, I think it's a holistic, uh, all of effort type of approach. Um, and if we're not integrated, we're not realizing the potential, uh, number one, but also just from a private sector view, financial institutions that are um, building these teams, uh, deploying lots of people, processes, and technology, Across the board, they're doing it in somewhat of an unstrategic way, and there is a cost component to that. 
And the tragedy there is that these are not law enforcement agencies or intelligence community members. These are for-profit business that have uh, Wall Street and the shareholder in mind. So when it comes to that cost component, I think it's super important um, and, and, and therefore, you know, a bit tragic that we're not spending funds specific to uh, managing financial crime risk um, a little more strategically from that integrated approach. And um, what I find uh, the the comical part of this is when, uh, for a minute, imagine how of the fraudsters operate, how the the criminals operate. They don't operate in silos. You know, in the U.S., if you take the example of check fraud, uh, criminals will uh, go into mailboxes, UPS blue mailboxes. They will steal that. So the crime starts on the street. They will go sell that on the dark web. So there are elements of cyber involved there. They'll wash those checks. They'll use different techniques to wash or reproduce the checks, sell it on the dark web. Then use different uh, mulling ways of mulling and mule accounts, identity theft to deposit those checks. And then launder the money through those mule accounts. And that the money then goes back to the streets in terms of uh, drugs, illegal weapons, etc. So they don't operate in silos and they, they, have, they have so a, col- a collective approach when it comes to fraud and money laundering or crime in general. But we still operate and build, continue to build solutions, processes, and our operations uh, in in fragments or in segments. So uh, I find that very very comical. I, I don't know if you have an opinion on that. Yeah, so I, I agree with the point on the bad actor side in terms of uh, them not operating in silos and, and exploiting all vulnerabilities, which essentially are, are, are created by this notion of. Uh, very narrow views and, and isolated uh, sort of approaches. Um, it's it's frustrating, absolutely, that uh, we are not trying to stay uh, a step ahead um, uh, in, in that regard when um, there's great opportunity to do so with a very, to me, again, for back to the, you know, comical slash tragic that we're in 2023, but there's been clarity around this issue for me for uh, many, many years uh, beyond a, a decade of, of a view here. So um, I, I, again, remain optimistic, though, that we can get there uh, with the right discussions and uh, the right energy around the initiative. So uh, we, we jumped straight to uh, collaboration and integration because it's such a touchy subject for the both of us. And, and that's, that's what we want to talk about. But if we take a step back, um, could you define what are the different domains or uh, components of fina- uh, an overall financial crime and compliance uh, system? Yeah, I, I've always seen, um, you know, the landscape with, with five particular domains and, and those domains being money laundering, fraud, cybercrime, corruption, bribery, and then sanctions. And I'm a, I'm a super visual person, obviously on a podcast here, if we can visualize uh, taking that landscape and then turning three of those domains more so into a Venn diagram. And I really see the bottom circles left to right here as fraud, money laundering, and then the top circle that is touching the two as cyber crime. So when we live in this, you know, uh, advanced new age world of digital, uh, everything, right. Yep. And then advancements in, in other technologies. I think that that's really the main the cyber crime component, uh, is really the main, uh, part that we should be focusing on that has the direct, um, 
sort of interconnective tissue to fraudulent uh, conduct behaviors and activities, as well as downstream the money laundering aspect. And then sort of on the peripheries, if we move from the landscape back into this, you know, Venn diagram, you, you clearly have corruption, bribery, sanctions. We can start throwing things underlying, um, especially sanctions as well as the money laundering component, things like proliferation, terrorist finance, and so on and so forth. But those are the five main disciplines, domains that are all encompassing. Maybe one quick note back to the whole, why do we, you know, have such narrow views? Why do we lack the integration strategies? I think that uh, we're an industry that gets very, very slowed down by a real particular focus on a real particular issue. Um, and I, I often think of, of a lot of those issues as really micro or subdomains of the domains disciplines that we're talking about. So it's, it's super hard to, um, you know, channel out, uh, our, our focus or zoom out rather our focus, uh, in that regard. So, so, uh, since you brought that point back, uh, why, why we get slowed down? Um, I was just thinking, uh, regulation is often cited as one of the reasons or one of the excuses for, oh, we can't do data sharing. This data needs to be within a certain boundary. Uh, that is thrown as an, uh, do you see that as an, as a legit explanation or as more of a, an excuse? Uh, the latter, in my opinion, sounds like we share the, the, the same yeah, yeah. opinion on, on that. Um, but to be fair, I, I do think that regulation um, in sort of the system of supervision can often be a big deterrence um, in, in a, an environment, in structures that are very risk averse uh, to begin with. So it's hard to push through initiatives when you have that sort of uh, regulatory burden or fear uh, hovering you know, over you. So, um, but with that said, uh, I fundamentally do not believe that it is a wall that cannot be moved through, gone around, and for all the right reasons and easily explainable um, to your supervisors, to your regulators, to your auditors. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I share the um, the frustration when it comes to regulation being used as an excuse. I also uh, see regulation being a roadblock when we're talking about uh, when we are talking about consortium based intelligence. When we're talking about collective intelligence, this banks in isolation have good data, um, good insights. Forget about uh, personal data. It's just the patterns of fraud that they see, the patterns of uh, typologies of AML, money laundering that they see. If those are shared in in um, in a very uh, abstract way, even abstracting out all the PII information, um, it, it could be valuable. So, uh, yeah, regulation is something uh, that I, I also feel many times is brought up as an excuse. So you define the five five domains. So getting back to the point, you define the five domains. Now, what would be an ideal way to go around uh, with the integrations of these domains? Do all of them actually plug in or there, there are some that are adjacent and don't necessarily integrate well with the others? Well, I, I think you would get a lot of folks um, to, uh, you know, take positions in an argument against the <laughs> my belief that these all can be integrated very easily. And when, when I say very easily, I, I'm, I'm coming from the, the viewpoint of the framework at the end of the day is people, process, and technology. And when we stop, when we stop there at that layer of a framework and move to, you know, what does that really mean in terms of people? Well, people, it's, you know, subject matter, understanding, it's 
skilling, it's training and educating. So there are no real obstacles to having um, expertise, subject matter knowledge across your people component of an integrated people framework. Um, the same with process. Process at the end of the day, this is where uh, probably most folks would sort of completely diverge from my thinking here. But um, to me, process in terms of a framework is as simple as inputs and outputs, processes mm-hmm. being in the in between. Or you're, you're of an engineering background, right? It's, it's yep. a very li- linear um, sort of mindset of we have to bring in uh, data, we have to generate uh, workflow, there's going to be an output to that workflow. It's, it's super simple. You can make the argument that, um, whether they are fraud related matters, whether they are money laundering, sanctions, corruption, cyber, that there may be sort of divergence from some of those processes. And I'll give you that to a certain extent, but they still fall within the frame framework of input process and output. So I don't see major obstacles on the process side either. From a technology uh, standpoint, at the end of the day, what are technology solutions? They are enablers of those uh, processes or back to the input component. They are about data and models, rules, um, yep. and, and whatnot, right? So I think that integrated aspect of what are we trying to identify, monitor, capture, so on and so forth still applies. So. Uh, you can throw additional things in, uh, in terms of the, the frameworks to policy positions, starting at the policy level and, uh, understanding the clarity around an integrated strategy and communicating that awareness out to all your stakeholders, training to, and then running the people process mm-hmm. technology sort of framework. So to me, it's, it's not that complicated, but there are hurdles, right? Which I think we might address, uh, in, 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 you know, coming yeah. up here. Yeah, I think, um, again, we will, uh, once the episode is public, I think we will get comments that people say, oh, it's just easy to talk about. It's it's going to be much harder. It is complicated yeah. when you sit down to execute. But uh, the intention is that we, we need to start to think in a unified way. And then uh, it's not going to happen overnight. And we are not saying rip off the traditional way of uh, managing fin crime and move. It, it's, it's, it's progressive steps towards uh, uh, adopting a unified framework and maybe start uh, to identifying where we could start and then moving towards the unified framework. And I think uh, it, it was this is also this question is also directly from one of one of the posts you wrote that uh, you talk about the role of executive leadership and how executive leadership could uh, play a vital role in in uh, actually bringing about the the unified approach towards financial crime prevention. So could, could you elaborate on that? We could spend a lot of time talking about single point of leadership, um, the role of the BSA officer and the various titles and names that come along with, with, with that role. But at the end of the day, it, it, it is absolutely a, uh, an element of being a part of a management team that's able to transact operate a budget, influence at the peer level across the management team in order to actually get things done. So that single point of leadership concept relates to your sole focus of responsibility is on financial crime. You're not sharing budgets, resources, having to influence within a 
larger compliance uh, organization that perhaps is led by the chief compliance officer, a larger risk organization, perhaps led by a chief risk officer, um, and other sort of structures of organizations that we see today. Uh, another one would be general counsel, chief legal officer. So those sort of shared budget environments, shared spheres of influence, um, make it really, really challenging to get strategic things done because at the end of the day, it, it, it does again boil down to, uh, budgets, transactional authority and, and being able to influence key stakeholders and shareholders from a position of, uh, authority. So single point of leadership, super important. Um, and I talk, uh, extensively about that and write extensively about that. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned budget. Um, if I have to get time with, uh, any executive, that's a great way to, uh, get their attention, get their time to saying that, Hey, if there could be budget savings, sorry, there could be cost savings. Uh, we could streamline the budget. Um, so a unified approach in my mind, uh, and again, I'm putting my engineering hat on if we, a lot of the analytical processes, the data is shared, the analytics shared or similar. Uh, we're trying to solve similar problems. So there could be costs, cost savings. And I think the, uh, to adopt anything, people look for, hey, what's the benefit? Why should I be doing this? Uh, how much dollars would I be saving immediately over the, or, or over the course of five years, uh, 10 years? And I, I feel that, that that could be a driver, especially given the economic situation we are in right now. Yeah, I totally agree. And another part that I that I talk a lot about is sort of that P&L mindset, um, which in most cases, uh, the vast majority of BSA officers and arguably even uh, chief compliance officers do not have uh, P&L responsibility ownership. So in turn, do not have the P&L sort of leadership mindset. And if we were able to get them closer to or adopting and have real ownership of that, you're looking at things like, cost containment and strategies to really streamline uh, from an operational um, excellence standpoint, from optimizing every aspect of your sort of uh, environment, your organizational structure, and then also looking for ways, as most P&L leaders do more so, to generate revenues um, right. and new revenues, increase profitability uh, across your, your function. Um, Everyone knows we've always had this longstanding mindset that AML, financial crime, compliance in general are cost centers. Uh, and this notion of a cost center and fighting for the scraps of remaining budgets and whatnot to not only do a very important job when we think of, again, fighting financial crime, but also back to that whole shareholder value concept, super important. And the things that... Um, and, and I'll give it to a, a number of folks in the industry that are talking to talking more so about the value that can be provided from a customer intelligence standpoint, insights uh, being derived from the amount of data that we collect in these functions across the fin crime landscape. We've always talked about, especially from a fraud standpoint, uh, the amount of money that's saved in terms of mitigating fraud loss or mitigating mm -hmm. potential regulatory fines and whatnot. Those are all things that are pretty straightforward, but um, again, on the revenue generating side, I, I think that there are a number of examples and things that I've actually used in, in my career to really increase um, uh, revenue opportunities, new business across not only 
existing customer segments of the portfolio, but also identifying and going after new customer segments um, as part of the portfolio. Uh, so those are things that the mindset shift that we need to be thinking about and talking about. Enjoy. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Vic, th- thanks for sharing all this input. So I came in with a very uh, pessimistic approach. I thought this this concept is dead in the water. It <laughs> just looks good on a marketing brochure, but it's not uh, nothing beyond that. Uh, you have given me a, a lot more uh, confidence and with the strategies that you propose. I hope we can influence a few people to start uh, thinking about uh, Framel or Unified um, uh, financial crime prevention. Uh, thank, uh, Vic, thank you for taking t- uh, time out and uh, joining me today. And uh, for, for all you listeners, uh, that was uh, Vic Maculatis. Check him out. Uh, I'll share uh, his LinkedIn profile in the show notes and also um, uh, the link to uh, i3 strat- strategies uh, in, in the show notes. So uh, do uh, do uh, check out his uh, Vic's posts. Uh, I find them uh, extremely uh, informative. Um, and until next time, uh, signing off, I'm your host Anurag. We'll be back again with another A-lister. Um, thank you. Thanks so much for having me.